0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 249 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rayho, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And we are here inside the Pat Cave uh, of Magenta Manor, and we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee, as we are part of the Dorkening Network. And I am not alone. Of course, I'm here, as always, with my co host on the show and my co host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ashes of Nightmare.
1: You got it right today. I was
0: counting off on my fingers, and our guests can see me doing that as I was You know, to You keep to adding
1: everything. names to it. You're going to have to start counting on your toes, too. I'm going to have to
0: take my shoes off.
1: Oh, please don't. I
0: don't want to do that. But uh, as I said, we have uh, an awesome guest today. He is a two-time Emmy Award nominee for the Jimmy Fallon Show, uh, and he has an awesome book coming out. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, may I present Mr. Luke Cunningham.
2: Luke, how are you today? i'm doing so well thank you so much for having me on the throwdown
0: i'm so excited for you to be here and uh one of my favorite things about the fact that you're uh appearing on the show today is the fact that you've done a lot of research for uh on us yeah listening to other shows where we have interviewed other writers like so this is very cool
2: yeah no i, I listened to the uh the past few interviews um a well, past few episodes but especially the ones with uh with the authors and the, the last author you had on was, uh, I mean, I, I actually ordered, uh, her book and it was
1: just, oh, Stephanie King, yeah. uh, I mean, it,
2: yeah. So
1: he was a fantastic person to interview and I had the opportunity to, you know, we, we, we spoke with her, uh, when we weren't recording you know off the record and oh my goodness the the stuff that she divulged uh to us you know uh (laughs) things that she couldn't say on air you know because it would be super spoilery territory but uh oh my goodness and when we spoke about one instance um you know in in her book that she she brings up and I I read through that part and like my stomach dropped and, you know, being able to to speak with her off the record, being like, how did you handle like that situation? Because I'm reading this and I'm, 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 I'm feeling stressed and I'm feeling, you know, anxious. And, and, you know, she was able to be like, Oh yeah. You know, once I figured, you know, this out and realized that this is what, you know, that thing was like, Oh my goodness. So I mean, I can't recommend that book enough to, to people, especially where it's based off of something that actually happened.
2: Right. right before her wedding. Yikes.
1: Yeah. 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 And. Uh, As if
2: that's not stressful it, enough.
1: right?
0: <laughs> but uh, you're here today because you have a book called Leo inventor extraordinaire and, yes. uh, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to be talking a little bit oh, about yes. this and uh, then a lot about this because we started having a, some really good conversation yes. off air.
1: <laughs> we're like, Hey, maybe we should be recording this. Yeah.
0: But first, uh, as you know, any first time guest on the show has to, uh, I don't know, endure the uh, getting into character questions.
1: Uh, like a rite of passage.
0: Yeah. It's like, you know, running, running the gauntlet. It's like a very mild form of hazing. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to I'm going to ask you, and I kind of asked you off air a little bit, but uh, I think the folks at home should know you are a, a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan.
2: Uh, like physically and figuratively, a huge uh, Eagles fan. I am six and a half feet tall and 230 pounds of Eagles fan. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, I'm one of I'm one of five boys growing up. So we were just constantly like we all played football Uh, And we all, uh, you know, like I wore number 92 for Reggie White, even though I wanted to wear number 12 because my last name is Cunningham uh, and I wanted to be Randall Cunningham. Unfortunately, I was a bit of a chunky kid and I used to wear red all the time and everybody in my neighborhood called me Red Delicious. So uh, Red Delicious was Red Delicious was never going to get to be QB 12 running around, just kind of handling the offense. Uh, I was definitely an offensive defensive lineman. Well, speaking of uh,
0: offensive and defensive linemen, uh, some of the uh, praise that you have gotten for your book is Leo Inventor Extraordinaire is a book all kids should read with a hero we can all root for uh, by two-time Emmy Award winner and Super Bowl champion Michael Strahan of the New York Giants. So my question for you is how conflicted were you getting praise from a division rival?
2: Oh, man. Um, I, that was definitely the the only hindrance in asking him about it. was like, oh, I'm sure he's going to make some type of Eagles joke. I mean, if you ever watch his uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony, do you know who he, who he brings to his Hall of Fame induction ceremony is uh, former Philadelphia Eagles right tackle and congressman John Runyon. And he has... John John Runyon stand up during his uh his Hall of fame speech, and then like boom roast John Runyon, <laughs> well, Runyon with Washington as well, yeah, of course, like he's in his own it, I think what he says he's like, there's John Runyon, he is uh, six foot eight and three hundred fifty pounds of twisted steel and no sex appeal, and <laughs> And then goes into his uh, his Hall of Fame induction speech. So I was just like, eh, as long as I'm as long as I'm not getting the John Runyon treatment in the uh, book blurb, we're going to be fine.
0: Yeah, I, I think that I mean it's it's a fine line to walk, but uh, yeah. you know he was he was very merciful there. I'm sure he uh, he roasted you, you know, outside of that. But
2: oh, of course, constantly. Uh, he would we would we we sold a show with him. Um, I mentioned this, but he's uh, when he was a kid, his nickname was Bob. And it's not short for Robert. Uh, it stood for booty on back because he had a big old badonk when he was a kid. <laughs> and, uh, so we wrote a show that was a little bit like The Wonder Years, except it was about uh, Michael Strahan's youth, where he he grew up on a, an Air Force base in Germany and then came over to Texas. Bob came over to Texas when he was 15 years old to learn how to play American football. And so that was the show. It was just like Bob. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Young Rock is like the only hit show on network television this season. So hopefully, somebody is like, what if we did it with a uh, better football player? <laughs> I don't
0: know. Much better football <laughs> yeah. player. Not to take anything yeah. away from The Rock, but uh, yeah. you know, he's not an NFL Hall of Famer.
1: So. Yeah. No, no, he's not. So, my question for you is it's football Sunday you're getting ready to sit down and watch your Philadelphia Eagles Mm -hmm. eating.
2: Oh, so we have, we live uh, on the west side of LA in like the Venice, Santa Monica area. So uh, our ritual is usually pizza. And it's usually like, we are in some type of golden age of pizza in Los Angeles. But uh, once a year, we will go just the like nastiest pizza <laughs> we can find in the area. And again, like nobody else pizzas the hut. I hope they're not a sponsor, but like once a year we will dial up uh, Pizza Hut and it's usually Super Bowl Sunday, which is just like, and there's always like one wild thing on the Domino's or Pizza Hut menu that they're just like cooking up in their weird lab, which is. Invariably off of I ninety five somewhere in New Jersey, and it's always like, uh, "Hey, have you tried the new uh, cinnamon pizza salad?" And you are like, "Well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Definitely going to order that." And uh, luckily, my my wife also has a uh, semi adventurous palate, which be like, "I'll try a you know cinnamon pizza salad." And then two bites later, she's like, "This is gross. <laughs> why did you Why did you spend six dollars on this?" You got to pre order a cookie bread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, funny, like, stay in your lane. You do not do desserts well. I don't, why do you feel like you have to provide someone the total package at Pizza Hut? God, I, I, do you, I mean, I'm 41 years old. Like, I, someone says Pizza Hut, and all I think of is those Tiffany lamps and yep. the deep dip with the cast iron. And I either got a good report card or it's somebody's birthday and I'm waiting for my turn at Street Fighter 2 and, like, just crushing Pizza Hut on a Friday night. I was
0: going to say the sit down, the sit down uh, Pac-Man. Yep. Yes. Oh,
2: that one was awesome. Mm -hmm. The
1: red plastic cups. The red
0: plastic cups that say pizza and black on them. Yep.
2: Oh, I, I bought a bunch of those red plastic cups. I found them on Amazon, and uh, <laughs> my wife was not thrilled. She's like, we're not giving them a good guess. Um, but we, I, when, I, uh, when I worked at, uh, at, I think it was Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, um, so we weren't at Tonight Show yet, but one of our writers, a guy named Mike Drucker, uh, wrote a tweet about Book It that went viral. And Book It sent us a ton of uh, gear. Like, I have like, I had two great book it t shirts and like a bunch of other uh, book it gear for a while. I always associate book it with Pizza Hut. I don't know, does book it still a thing where you read read books? I
1: think it's still right because you would read so many books and you would get a free personal pan pizza, Uh and it was like every summer. And you could tell, like, so, like, I I remember that because my friends and I would all, you know, uh, we wanted our pizza because we were all fat kids. So, like, we would read all of these books super, you know, super quick and go get our pizza, like, beg our parents to be like, hey, we get our pizza. Take me to Pizza Hut.
2: Yeah, it was always a little bit of a revenge over the cool kids. bucket where it was just like, oh, enjoy your uh, boy-girl parties where parents aren't around and you're hanging out in the basement. I will be at Pizza Hut enjoying my earned book-it personal pan pizza.
1: This was the true revenge of the nerds. Yes.
2: So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The true revenge of the nerds, diabetes. Yes. <laughs> That'll show them. Yeah.
0: So <clears throat> my question for you is you know, if you could own a piece of uh Eagles memorabilia, because we were talking about that and you can see all the stuff that I have behind me, yeah uh, kinds of stuff. What would it be? Like would it be a Vince Papali jersey? Would it be uh, a, <laughs> like a Randall Cunningham cleat? You know, what would what would you go for?
2: Oh, I mean, I like uh heart wise, I would go with Nick Foles jersey from uh the Super Bowl and you know, like the the score written on it, everything, whatever he was wearing when he ran the Philly special. Um, mm-hmm. Like joke wise, I would probably go with uh, Randall Cunningham's working left ACL. Like before it was torn and he was still incredible. I'd probably go with that. There was a, there was a wild run there in the late eighties, early nineties where you're just like, Oh my God, this guy is the future. What do we, we're, we're all set. And then he kind of, One ACL goes makes the worst the worst Tetris piece, and you're 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 out of luck for a while.
0: I mean, he didn't look bad when he was with Minnesota. I will say, no, he really
2: he found it again. There's a great book called "Bringing the Heat," uh, which is about the 1992 Philadelphia Eagles season. And Randall, over the summer, had uh, joined a church. And what the pastor of the church had told him that he just he needs to stop yelling and to speak more authoritatively. And so Randall tried to do that at the line of scrimmage in like visiting NFL stadiums, and teammates would be like, We can't hear you. <laughs> and he was just like, Well, I'm just going to continue to speak authoritatively. And so they like led the league in offsides penalties that year. <laughs> Randall is a, a like industrial great weirdo. Uh, Randall Cunningham.
0: Yeah, I mean that's and that's fine. I remember that that play where he was three yards shy of the end zone and leapt from the three and landed three yards into the end yeah. zone. And John Madden was like a new long and high jump record. <laughs> <laughs> How
2: about the ninety-two yard punt that he had. Yes, like there's a, he. No one has weirder uh, statistical records than Randall Cunningham. Oh, also, I loved watching. Incredible Jerry Curl, just a wonderful, yeah. like beautiful nineteen eighty six Jerry Curl.
0: <laughs> oh, he was so good.
2: Yeah, could have been a new edition or an All Pro quarterback. Either way,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. You know, a little of both.
1: So I have a feeling that uh, you're also really big into art.
2: Yeah, I uh, I have always been a big fan of the humanities. And um, I, I feel like historically there was a significant break that happened during the Renaissance where humanities are kind of uh, a combination of history and storytelling and the way that kind of we uh, relate culture to each other. And the break that I think happened with the Renaissance is people decided to start really telling stories through their art in a way that was uh, trying to make things uh, more approachable and make them more true for people. I mean, the one universal book that everyone knew was the Bible, and so they, they took the, the stories in the Bible and infused them with their own uh, ideas of humanism at the time. And I like so for me, that is my favorite period of art is uh, Renaissance into the Enlightenment period of art.
1: Yeah, that period actually uh, created some very interesting and gorgeous art pieces. Uh, my question for you is, do you have a favorite art piece?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, it's kind of inspired. This book is Raphael's School of Athens. OK, it- so Raphael's School of Athens is essentially the Avengers of human thought. It is uh, Raphael painted uh, the uh, Aristotle's School of Athens, but he took every one of the or you know contemporaries of the Renaissance and placed them in that role. So if you look at uh, Raphael's School of Athens, like the centerpiece is Aristotle, but that's actually da Vinci. Like he painted his version of Aristotle is uh, is Leonardo da Vinci on the, if you're looking at the lower left-hand corner um, is Averroes, the uh, the commentator who the, uh, the kind of North African uh, Andalusian scholar from Spain. And he was the reason that we had a lot of the Renaissance as he took those, you know, I mean, the, the, the term Renaissance uh, refers to rebirth and what they were bringing back was that, uh, roman and especially greek city-state ideas of pursuing science and truth and uh, eventually democracy but um like i i just kind of love how they still grind out their little beefs with each other because they're all artists they all have little beefs with each other like uh i i it's not it's not dionysus i'm forgetting it might be herodotus is that's who he makes uh, Michelangelo. And if you look in Raphael's School of Athens, there's just like a grubby weirdo kind of on the ground, or like the ground of the painting. That's Michelangelo, who is just 100% a a grubby weirdo that Da Vinci didn't like. And man, Michelangelo didn't like him either. Um, You know, the the Ninja Turtles kind of idea. But uh, that's, yeah, that's my favorite piece of art. It's also on the cover of the book, that largely uh, I, that I used for a lot of research, which is Charles Van Doren's history of knowledge. And the cover of that is uh, Raphael's school of Athens.
0: I was going to, I was going to guess if I were to, you know, based on, you know, based on Leo, I was going to guess Vitruvian man, but.
2: Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, it's the reason it's the, it's the cover. Um, I definitely like, I love uh, the Vitruvian man too. I mean, my favorite part, about the Vitruvian man is that that is a, that's a self portrait, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, artists are, I think a lot of people have an idea of artists as like, uh, you know, just kind of a feet and, you know, they're kind of off in their own space and like, Leonardo da Vinci was a real one. He was a local wrestling champion. He was jacked. He would uh, he would go in and he would buy animals in the animal market and uh, would just release them in front of the person's face who had caught them, like like, fight me, I dare you. Uh, his stepdad is uh, I, I, you've uh, read the beginning part of the, the book uh, mm-hmm. when we meet our Leo. In this book, his last name is uh Briga. And uh he grew up, his stepdad was named Ataka Briga. That was his nickname, which is actually Italian for troublemaker, because he was just a dude you didn't want to cross either. So um yeah, I mean I I love uh, the Vitruvian man mostly because he was like, I'm gonna paint a really jacked version of myself, and I'm gonna uh answer the circle that or answer the question. Vitruvius tried to pose hundreds of years ago about uh, trying to square the circle.
0: Very cool. So yeah. because you are such a uh, a fan of the, the Renaissance, um, and you did mention this, so I, I had written the, the question down prior to you mentioning this group, but uh, if you were to introduce a fifth Ninja Turtle.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh who- it would be Averroes Well, you know what? Maybe Carvaggio. Mm. I, Carvaggio is—I mean, Carvaggio like legitimately murdered somebody. Like they—they—they <laughs> they, they crossed him. There's right. like Carvaggio would be like the guy in heat where you're like, hey man, you gotta, you got He's like, no, I just like he's a little too intense mm-hmm. for most of the Ninja Turtles. Um, but I think yeah, maybe uh, yeah, Carvaggio or Everolas is Everos is hundreds of years older but yeah one of those two yeah what a great question uh, Yeah, i think I, I would go with either one of those two
0: excellent well you uh you successfully uh survived the gauntlet of uh of of getting into character questions oh nice
1: now enter phase two of this conversation yes <laughs> okay.
0: let's do it and uh those are some great answers that was awesome yeah uh, so I we're think. gonna take a uh, quick break and when we come back we will uh, start talking about uh, Leo and uh, all the awesome stuff that's in that book. Awesome! So we'll be right back.
2: Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique, special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew.
0: At Strongwilled Sports Memorabilia and More, our mission is to raise as much money and awareness for pediatric cancer research as possible through the giving away of authenticated, autographed sports memorabilia and more. All proceeds from our games will be donated to various pediatric cancer foundations, with a majority going to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and the Jimmy Fund. Our mission to give back began when Craig and Kara's son William was diagnosed with a stage 4 Wilms tumor, and his courage to fight and overcome his cancer ultimately led to the start of the hashtag Strongwilled movement. For more information on how to donate and support this great cause, please visit the hashtag Sports Memorabilia and More Facebook group. In a world swarming with boring, predictable awards shows, what will separate from the rest? Rise above and unite the podcasting realm in a testament to the outstanding achievements of the community. The Amalgamania Podcasting and Entertainment Awards. Podcasters, YouTubers, and Twitch streamers, now is your time. Make your voices heard and submit your program by going to amalgamania.com for all the details, submission categories, and guidelines. The Amalgamania Podcasting and Entertainment Awards, the summer's biggest blockbuster event. You don't want to miss it. And we are back. Uh, Thank you for uh, hanging out and and, and joining us today because this is awesome. I'm really excited to get into this book. Um, So, Leo, Inventor Extraordinaire. uh, Mm -hmm. Some folks have compared it to, uh, actually, uh, somebody on the show has compared it to the Da Vinci Code. And we've heard it called the Da Vinci, like basically the the young adult version of the Da Vinci Code.
2: Oh, I, I mean, the elevator pitch. Uh, to the publisher was uh diary of a wimpy kid crossed with a Dan Brown novel. So there are definitely uh, a, a lot of um, nods to uh, the different Dan Brown novels and kind of the, uh, the art history, the humanities, uh, the symbolism and um, kind of people solving puzzles uh, involving all of those things. So that is, uh, I'm, I'm honored to ever be spoken of in the same breath as uh, Dan Brown novels. Love those books.
1: It's really exciting because it, it's one of those books where everything seems to serve a purpose in some way. And if you don't know what that purpose is right away, you're going to find out. If you don't figure it out for yourself...
2: But hopefully and, you do. And I
1: love that it's almost like baited a little bit. And I love that so much.
2: So I um thank you. When I when I uh, was going through the process of writing it, like I was trying to write it in a style of uh dad fiction. Like, you know, you you, you like the books that you would see your dad reading on the beach, and it was always like every chapter would end on like a dun dun And there was always, it was always like a detective who was going to do things his own way, but there was, it was like the chapters were two pages long and would end on uh, something that would kind of make you to continue to flip the pages, like continue to go through and want to read. So um, that was definitely uh, what I was, I was trying to do when I was writing it. There's also a lot of, uh, I grew up playing a lot of Japanese role-playing games, Um, so there's Definitely a lot of uh, JRPG kind of character build into it, and acquiring a device, and then like finding a way to level up that device, and uh, a lot of Shining Force, Shining Force Two, Final Fantasy, mm-hmm. those types of character builds.
0: Well, I can also tell some of the uh, some of the uh, uh, influences, like maybe literary influences that you might have had. Uh, looking at this, uh, especially the first, even in the first few pages, I, I saw nods to both Arthur C. Clarke and Michael Crichton. Yeah. Um, the Arthur C. Clarke, one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, quotes of all time: "Any uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic." Yep. Yeah. Um, such a great quote. And the other thing I noticed, and I may be wrong about this, because my initial impression of the Cray station, which ended up being short for crater. Um,
1: (laughs) It was just such a fun scene, by the way.
0: The first thing Uh, I thought of was (laughs) the novel Jurassic park where they used Cray XMP supercomputers to use the, to do the gene sequencing.
2: Oh man. Um, I, I wish I was so sophisticated that that was the actual (laughs) Easter egg to it. (laughs) Instead it was just Cray station. I just wanted, there was just, I was just imagining kids Making fun of each other and uh, and calling uh, making fun of the crater and the cray station of it. I don't know if there's also a uh, there's another device in in the book uh, called it's a it's a claw that is painted in a checkerboard pattern and uh, that is known as Jean Claude Van's hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's pretty good. Some of them are just for your wife.
0: <laughs> no, no. I mean, I I, I I feel like
1: you get me. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love a good a good Easter egg, a good reference. We uh, uh, you also
1: love a good pun.
0: I do. Uh, oh. you know, when we 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 chatted with Drew Murray about his his book that had uh, you know it takes place at a comic-con and it there's just references thrown throughout the entire thing, including like a random he's like oh yeah there's a line from the matrix i'm like yeah it's the uh it's this line and he's like yeah like because it's not yeah. like i know kung fu or do you think that's air your it's not one of the famous lines it's just like this throwaway line but from a memorable scene and it's just like he goes my kid who is a huge matrix fan didn't even get that so like when i read stuff like this this is what uh, I like to look for like these little nods, and you know sometimes y- in you misinterpret it, but uh...
2: yeah. no, I mean, your's what like i uh, that one i wow, uh, as a gigantically tall fiction writer, just like Michael Crichton, I wish I had uh, had the sophistication to tie that back together with the Jurassic Park computers. one of the uh, one of the uh, the I guess the. The chamber room of one of the puzzles is based on uh, my favorite museum in the world, which is in Massachusetts, uh, your home state. I don't know if you've ever been to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum.
1: Yes.
2: Oh, yeah. That is.
1: I haven't been in years, but yeah.
2: Like I just remember the first time I walked into that place and it, from the outside, it is just this very kind of unassuming big stone building. And then you go in and it's, it's modeled after a 15th century Venetian palace and yeah. you go in and it's a beautiful like center chamber court. And then it is also uh, was home to one of the most famous art heists in American history where they showed up as Boston cops and then tied up all the security guards. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. That is that is a real thing that happened.
2: Yeah, um, Starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Yeah. I mean, how has it not been done yet?
1: <laughs> um, so I want to talk about uh the two main characters, um uh, okay. the titular character Leo and mm-hmm. sidekick Savvy. Um, uh, I I'll- mean, it
0: could be argued that he, you know, either one of them could be the sidekick. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm I'm just assuming, you Especially know. Especially the beginning
0: defi- of this. I mean, I mean, the, the main
1: character could be Dante. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean,
1: Dante is definitely the most helpful helper monkey ever.
2: Way more helpful than Mojo. Uh, so. I mean, one of my uh, again, everything that's in the novel is based on. Uh, either a piece of Renaissance art, or something that Da Vinci really did, or a character who really existed, like um, Gemini, his uh, the five hundred pound robot lion. Um, yeah. Da Vinci five hundred years ago really did make a working robot lion out of wood at the time, and that was kind of the jumping off point of this book. Where I just I was like, what? Like the first time somebody told me, that, I was like, you? No way! And then went through and was reading about it. And I was just imagining, like, it, what would happen if you took that, that, that incredible brain and put it into today and let it operate with kind of today's technology? And so that, um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the seed of the novel in 2012 when I started writing uh, the initial outline. I'm sorry, did I cut you off? Was there a question about Savvy and Leo? <laughs> I just, oh, no, I, was, I just wanted to talk
1: about, you know, uh, the character development, you know, oh, the, uh, uh, inspiration behind these characters, where the ideas came from. So, so you're running off on a great direction. That's this is exactly what I wanted from you.
2: Oh. <laughs> well, Savvy is based on, uh, Savonarola. Okay. Uh, who is the, uh, he was the, uh, 16th century. No, I think it was 15th, 16th century, um, Uh, like firebrand populist uh, monk, a Dominican friar who briefly took over Florence. Uh, He was so charismatic that his uh, acolytes were known as the weepers. They were just people who would walk behind him and cry. And it was a response to to the humanism that was kind of dominating with the Renaissance. And had really been building since uh, Dante Alighieri wrote uh, the Divine Comedy in the Inferno. And like that Florence had become this very progressive place where it was like if you have cool ideas, like come here and pursue them. And Savonarola was a, uh, a little bit of a response to that. He was he was wildly popular. like he did not take over through a brutal violent means. like he was genuinely that popular that people were just like, great, you run things for a while. And then ultimately, he uh, he ran the bonfire of the vanities, which is when, I mean, estimates today are like, place it at like several billion dollars worth of Renaissance art was just burned in the center of uh, Florence. But I mean, at the time, people were just like, hey, he's burning this weirdo's mirror. But like, like that was... Uh, yeah, that was kind of uh, that's that's the inspiration. Is those characters and like uh, my character, Savvy, has the weird disfigured eye mm-hmm. that sometimes stare down people with. Savonarola had a weird disfigured eye, and like Savvy is, uh, you know, like wait, like he's so popular that Leo would love to get to be that popular. And he's like charismatic and he's fun to be around. And he can make anybody his friend. And uh, yeah, that is, that is 100% how Savannah Rola operated at the time. So like, I tried as much as I could to take the historical characters and you're kind of like, you know, making them younger or older, but still trying to apply their personalities into the way that their character is interacting in uh, Leo, in the world of Leo.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you about the, uh, the eye, but obviously you, uh, you know, you took care of that. So What made you, you know, because we we've talked to several people who have kind of uh, reimagined not only historical figures, but, you know, other, you know, like uh, public domain characters Mm -hmm. and kind of like told different stories or different versions of their stories. What made you choose uh, Leonardo da Vinci, aside from the lion story, of course?
2: Oh, I I think it's just because he had such an incredible brain, like to be so extraordinarily competent at so many different things just blows my mind like i i you know i mean i'm i'm competent at a few things but it like it took an it took a ton of hard work to establish competency at those things like i was a i was a rower uh that's the stuff that's behind me like it was a, i ended up on a college rowing team um and i, I didn't really row i wrote uh, at a whatever um so I I rode when I got to college but like that was just brutal hard work to get to that point so I couldn't believe somebody could be uh you know like uh, the best architect the best scientist the best engineer the best artist and it when you go in and you look at uh how he built himself to be this way. Obviously, it is an, an unnatural level of talent that he's starting out with. And then it's just the rigorous application of trying to make himself better. And he's doing it in uh, the way he's doing it in the book is he's uh, he's using this Latin quote disque uh, ut udbudeem, which is to know how to see. And uh, really, in his life, if you look at his notebooks, he's constantly writing, Uh, Sapere vedere, which means in Italian, to know how to see. Um, So, like, Da Vinci was constantly reminding himself, like, do not buy into your own bullshit. Like, try and drill down and find the best way to do this. And, frankly, like, I would love to see the, the, like, general spirit of the world go towards that. Whereas like, hey, let's really drill down and try and find the truth to this. And by testing it rigorously, like we've been doing, like, you know, we made this huge leap forward from the Renaissance through the Enlightenment. And it all kind of started with, uh, with this group of people who were like, what if we really start to test our ideas and here is a standard for uh, testing them?
0: It would certainly be a, a welcome change to, I'm just going to look around on the internet until I find somebody that agrees with me. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, five? Oh, well, I think that's what it is. So that's what it is. Because I saw somebody else write that it was two plus two is five.
2: So, yeah. And I, I mean, I know, I think it's Daniel Kibblesmith who had that incredible joke that was like, uh, but... FreedomEagle.Facebook says this. And it's just like, that's not an authority. Um, and like, if that's your idea, you should test your idea and like, be open to having your idea rigorously tested. And I think that is uh, like, that is one of my favorite things about Da Vinci is like, he wanted to see his ideas tested. He was like, great, let's go at it. And there's so many ideas he had that just didn't work that he was sure were going to work and then he eventually like you know he gives up and he recognizes like oh okay this won't work and here's what I've learned from this like he he thought he was going to be able to build a perpetual motion machine like everybody was trying to build a perpetual motion machine cool. then and he's got i mean his again his notebooks are just littered with uh, designs on a perpetual motion machine and eventually he's like oh this isn't going to work and had he really published that idea at the time we might've, we might've beaten the uh, eventually they established the laws of the conservation of energy uh, like 300 years later. And maybe if at the time he had gone out of his way to publish it, like we would have banked that and then been able to work off of that idea. I mean, I, and again, there's just like the stuff I that he's doing in there, like Da Vinci really hated Latin. Like, uh, for a guy, that, and that always fascinated me. Like for a guy who had that brain, who seems like he could do anything, and he was just he couldn't pick up Latin. Like his his notebooks are again like nothing but messed up conjugations of Latin words, and like li- li- like I I don't want to curse, but him yelling like like writing like the Italian hey, equivalent. Whatever you and, want. No, well it's him writing the Italian equivalent of fuck this. Why am I still doing this? <laughs> just, like I just love that that guy's that's how that guy's brain works and. Hey.
0: I'm going to say that to me is fascinating. Like, you live yeah. in Italy, you speak Italian, and you well, can't pick up Latin. It's just, no. it,
1: everyone has that thing that they can't do. Even the smartest, most brilliant, intelligent, uh, astounding person has that one thing that they just cannot do.
2: And and that is the reason that in the book, like the puzzles, whoever set the puzzles up for him,
1: mm-hmm.
0: expected
2: that he would be able to speak Latin, and he can't. <laughs> yeah. and he hates it and i was just like oh that's you know it's just everything is a little bit of an easter egg either his actual life or what was going on at the time
1: but i thought it was brilliant how you took all of these attribute attributes and put it into the body and mind of a child this uh. young man who's still trying to figure out the world around him and is almost too smart for his own good, uh, but at the same time isn't perfect and sometimes destroys libraries. Um, you know, I, I just thought that that was so... Uh, he still has faults. Um, you know, he, he still... Uh, doesn't think things all the way through when it comes to his inventions, which is such a childlike thing to do. You know, it's like, if I do this and I do this, this is going to happen. Yep. Oh, crap! I didn't take into consideration this. Like forgetting getting you to know? put the like,
0: fans
2: into the Cray station.
1: Right. You know, still, I mean, still learning.
2: Like you, you, uh, the amount of times that I've really gotten into some of the times I've really gotten into trouble in my life is be like, watch me, watch me really impress people with this. And then you're just like, oh, you whiffed because you forgot about X or Y or Z. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that is definitely something that was true in in, uh, Da Vinci's life, but is uh, 100% true in this uh, weird 13-year-old that is based on (laughs) Da Vinci. It's
0: like that great story. I forget where it came from. Uh, and I don't remember all the details to it, but I remember there was this architect who was asked to uh, create a building, uh, a library, and he makes this amazing library and they, you know, they build it and they fill it up and it starts to sink into the earth because he took everything into account except the weight of the books. Yeah. But it was like this amazing, marvelous thing that he had created and it could never be used for its intended purpose because of that, slight mistake it's like oh i'm I'm focusing on like the architecture and making it look so amazing and it's you know just so fantastic and i didn't take into account the weight of the books that were going to be
2: it's like oh let I me mean, dude have you ever i'm sure you have like if you ever build ikea furniture there's always like uh, there's two times you have to build it because the first time like you look at it and you're like, what? No, that can't be the right screw that has to go in here. And then you try and go three steps more and you're like, yeah, this is, I'm going to have to disassemble this entire thing. It's that, oh. except it's a 40,000 square foot stone library.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit more uh, yeah. cost intensive, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll say. So, when did you first develop this love of, uh, you know, Renaissance? you know uh history and you know when did it start kind of uh creeping its way into your writing style
2: oh man um i've always i've always loved history uh it's what i got my degree in it's what i was best at in uh in high school and i you know i mean i noticed i at fallon we would have to have we had 40 jokes do every day at 11 a.m so it was just like four pages of jokes and I was the king of writing jokes that uh, people would be like, that's a good joke for six people who are going to get it. <laughs> point, you know, writing when- for
0: Miller. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Like, I remember I uh, my friend, Dickie Egan, uh, who's from Fall River, uh, he was one of the writers with us, and we would, like, send each other jokes back and forth, and you would, sometimes you would send the joke, we are like, okay, I believe this didn't get picked, and I sent him this joke after the Philadelphia Eagles signed Tim Tebow, and uh, it was like, the Philadelphia Eagles signed Tim Tebow, uh, but then Eagles fans were like, give us Barabbas, and he was like, yeah. <laughs> I like I you know, the head writer would be like, listen, man, I like I get this joke, I appreciate it. We're gonna do it in front of an audience who uh, you know, like our rehearsal audience is people who didn't get into Meredith Vieira's daytime talk show. They're not gonna get this joke. <laughs> and you know, it was just I eventually I was like, Oh, I should start to try and uh you know, like you just try and build what you like into a narrative. And I have a, I had a wonderful editor on this uh, named Jackie Alberta who uh, there's nothing more important in life, I feel like, than somebody who will, who will legitimately call you out on things and not in a spiteful way at all. Just They're constantly trying to make you better or whatever you're working on better. And she was so good at reeling things in over the course of the story where she'd be like, this is three degrees too weird or like this is, I I mean, there were so many fart jokes that she had me cut <laughs> or she was just like, listen, we have three already in this chapter and uh I'm just going to ask you to, to peel a couple of these off.
0: I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, You know, you can kind of make that, you know, that argument that that's, you know, like the laziest form of humor Um, and you see it a lot. Yeah. Um,
2: My friend Jared Stern is a screenwriter and he uh, he wrote like Mr. Popper's Penguins. He's written a bunch of stuff uh, that he he wrote the Lego Batman movie. But he always told he told me the story like eight or nine years ago about being in a meeting with a a, a Disney executive where they were trying to, they were like punching up the script and the Disney executive holds up this graph. And the X axis is, uh, I'm sorry, the Y axis is box office, domestic box office. How much has the money made? And the X axis is the number of poop and fart jokes. And he was like, start writing more of them (laughs) because (laughs) wow movies that make a ton in this genre have a ton of poop and fart jokes and i was just like and then i watched madagascar and was like oh yeah of course this is like this is how you continue to make kids engaged it's just like every once in a while you gotta throw in a toot joke so Mm.
0: yeah see i i i get it but like it's definitely one of those things where it's like oh this is the only thing that we think is is you know keeping kids engaged. So yeah. let's do it all the time. It's like, oh, please find something else to keep kids
2: engaged. Yeah, Shrek <laughs> is not a fun rewatch when you're 41 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like,
0: I mean, I get it. There's situations for everything, but mm-hmm. not every single situation is. Yeah. Is is good for a fart
2: joke. That, I mean, was, that was what my, my editor would be like, Luke, you just tried to eloquently explain how you can go into an art museum and differentiate between the quality of the paintings and then you followed up with a metaphor about a transformer farting. So why don't we why don't we move that down? Yeah. So that was uh my
0: brow though. Transformers are sophisticated machines. Like that's
2: they're, they are the, they're the yuppies of, of
1: <laughs> So my next question to you is do you plan on following this book up with anything else? Do you plan on turning this into a series? Because I feel like the characters of Leo and Savvy and you know, what I've read so far of this book I want more
2: Oh well, then you are you are very much in luck because the uh, the whole last two chapters are just full of Easter eggs for um, what could potentially be a uh, a sequel, um, and one of uh, I think it's 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 not Arthur C. Clarke. I think it's Carl Sagan. The quote is. Uh, Art is how we decorate space, but music is how we decorate time. Mm. And that would be the theme of the sequel, would be kind of more of uh, a a music-based puzzle and kind of him unraveling uh, how they're going to find another significant character in Leo's life.
0: Very interesting.
1: Yeah. One of the things I'm really enjoying is, you know, and it's something that we've said on this show before about young adult novels, Uh, just because it's young adult doesn't mean that it's uh, for kids. You know, I mean, yes, it's in a written in a pattern that is suitable for for young adults, but I'm enjoying the hell out of this. And I think that it is smart and it is very well written, even though, you know, it's, it's an easy read, which I mean, I'm a busy girl. I don't have uh, a lot of time to sit down and read something. And that's something that I've been trying to work on. And I, found Merlot,
2: that- I can't tell you how much it means to me to hear that it's an easy read because no, that I- was far and away my biggest concern as I was writing it. And just being like, oh, I'm trying to introduce. I grew up, I went to college on a pile of financial aid and, and grew up in this very working class community. And I remember the first time, a teacher took me to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. This, you know, this beautiful building. It's the it's the building where Rocky runs up the stairs. Mm-hmm. And they took the time and explained why these paintings were relevant. And this was like impressionism. And this is there, he's explaining, like, okay, this is what this guy did that was different. And this is how it took it in a different direction. And culturally we responded to it. And so I'm trying to introduce that idea to kids of like appreciating art and making beautiful things for the sake of making beautiful things. And then also like how you can build things in your own community that enriches the community. Like, uh, Peter Wynn, the, the titular character, he built this company and he didn't, you know, like he didn't take it and and ship the jobs abroad, and he enriched the place where he grew up and the place where he lived. And so, when you're trying to interweave those two things, it's it's sometimes really difficult to like uh, put it in a way that is fun for people to read and like keep them uh, like, oh, this is this. This idea was communicated in a way that made me uh, wanna cook through this book. And uh, like part of my, my worst case scenario was I remember growing up and watching kids, particularly boys go into the library and pick up books and be like 200 pages, never, and throw it away. And so when uh, my publisher, was like hey with the way we're gonna do this with fonts and 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 interworking the the art it's gonna be about 400 pages and i was like oh god that was my nightmare is that people would be like this is this is way too long so uh the fact that you are finding it an easy read jesus i'm gonna sleep easier at night
0: (laughs) (laughs) well and that's the thing like it's fun like the characters are engaging it's well written um you oh, know, so you, like it's, you it's introduce a-, a mystery right away, like the mystery of the Christmas pickle, like and oh
1: my god,
0: and and you get to and you get to see how it's done. A few, a few, the you
1: radiated know. pickles. Oh my god! Like <laughs> I couldn't, I had to put the, I had to put it down because I couldn't stop laughing.
2: Nah. Like, Did you know, with the Christmas pickle?
1: No. Yeah, no. that was a tradition I'm, I'm, I'm unfamiliar yeah, with I am totally. familiar with the tradition of you know, I I've, I've heard it from other people, but uh there there were no uh Christmas pickles in, in my house. But so I, so um,
2: my wife this year for Christmas, like got a pickle and like a pickle ornament and was hiding it on a tree. And of course my son at this point was like a year and four months and was like, What this? Like I have no idea what's going on here. But like we grew up where we would our, our parents would hide a Christmas pickle. And that was like a weird thing, I guess, in Eastern Pennsylvania that I just, it's weird that you just assume everyone does. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. When you do it at home, you would just assume everybody does
2: of it. Of course. Like, 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 you have yeah. a poop knife? Like... Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. You guys don't play Christmas pickle and everyone's like, uh, what does that mean? Yeah.
0: Is it like you know you paint it red and white and it's you know you, you shave it down to make it look like a candy cane? Someone bites ah dill pickle, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> um.
1: but it's it's smart too. Uh, the writing is very like I said, it, it's an easy read, but it's also a smart read. Yeah, you definitely too. can tell that and, you know
0: your 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 shit here.
1: You know, I, I oh. think that uh, a, a young a younger person reading it who's maybe not familiar with some of the uh uh things that you are referring to you know or even there there was a couple of things that that i I mean like like, i'm not brushed up on my 16th century you know philosophers and and and, artists right (laughs) you know i'm like i think this is this let me look this up i had to i had to google
0: the uh medici because like the first thing that came into my mind because i'm a huge simpsons guy Uh. homer uh you know, was doing something with Mr. Burns. He's like, "Oh, we're ordering, we're ordering out. What do you want on your pizza pie? Extra cheese? Who do you think I am, Lorenzo de Medici?" And <laughs> like, all I could think of I was like Medici. Like, I know that, for, so I googled. I'm like, "Oh yeah, there. They had uh, four popes in their family. Like, okay, like, and that makes sense for who that character is and how stern she is because of how stern those popes were. A little more stern than she was, but yeah, yeah like it's uh, you know they get off on torture and it's like the worst thing for him to be would be to be locked in his room with the lights off and that's what she would do and the second worst thing is to not have access to tools so instead of encouraging him it's like well you know yes your submarine did sink and yes you almost died but you made a submarine like (laughs) you know there's a there's a balance to it but instead it's like I'm not rewarding your creativity. I'm punishing your failure. And like, you definitely get a lot of that, you know, you know, uh, Renaissance, you know, type of, uh, you know, religious strictness.
2: Yeah. The, the, the stuff that they likely brushed up against at the time in the middle of the 15th and 16th centuries, what's your all time favorite Simpsons episode?
0: Um, camp Krusty, camp crusty uh right after that is uh the stonecutters episode
2: oh the stonecutters episode is incredible <laughs> uh, you think the stonecutters episode when you read uh the the dan brown why am i thinking it was originally titled solomon's key it's the one that's set in washington dc it has to do with the masons the freemasons all as i was reading that i could not stop thinking of the uh
0: any of those secret society, you know, skull and oh, bones, the yeah. Freemasons, like... Yeah. <laughs> and they have Freemason jokes in that, too. Like, not to get too far off topic, but when Mr. Burns has his casino and he's doing his, like, Howard Hughes thing, yeah. you know, and he looks at Smithers and he's like, everyone's covered with, you know, microscopic germs, and all the germs are like, Freemasons run the country! You know, like... You know, anytime... It, like, that's what I think of, I think of...
2: I I, I don't... I, I think there are... I'm not sure anyone, like... Age 43 and younger can see Steve Gutenberg and not <laughs> that line.
0: The only, the only reason I can is because I'm a huge short circuit fan. Oh, yeah, okay. police academy.
2: Yeah, I mean, Johnny I Five,
0: Lava too, just throwing it out there. Wait, which one? Lavalantula. Uh,
2: this one, I honestly, there are very few people who can make deeper cuts, but you are. <laughs>
0: Well, then yeah. there's the sequel to Lava Two Lantula, of course. Um
1: somehow the uh the uh, the Academy just failed to nominate that one. They for, did uh, not recognize their yeah. brilliance.
2: Deeply overlooked. Uh, unbelievable.
1: We're 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 sci-fi junkies, so yeah. all of those really horrible like the Shark NATO
0: Hey Asylum aches. once treat once uh tweeted one of my articles out. I did an article on their movie Megalodon. And they tweeted my article out because I love giant shark movies.
2: Oh, I so, saw that. I saw that in the theater. I loved Megalodon.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's so good. It's uh,
2: is that a is that a typical like is that something you guys really connect with? Like, is that like has the pandemic been hard because Friday nights you used to be at a movie theater seeing we would
0: do back-to-back movies on Friday nights? We yeah. would do two movies on Friday nights. You would um, go back-to-back. Yeah, that's what we would do because we had yeah, the we, AMC pass. Yeah, so get there around six, see one thing, see another. Like we did, *Brightburn* and *Godzilla*, uh, *King of the Monsters* one time.
1: Yeah, pretty much whatever uh, new releases were out because you know we got to stay, you got to stay on top of pop culture and all mm-hmm. of that other stuff. And plus, you know, we just we just really like it. Uh, but having the the AMC thing, you know, being able to see unlimited movies for. Uh, a, a, you know, a, you know, like a certain 20, Yeah, it was like twenty three dollars a month. Like you that. know, yeah. I mean, we got our money's worth. It's like, hey, you know, I mean, there were yeah, we would Friday nights after in the, work in
0: the dine in theater. Oh, the- I love dine the in theater. theater. Yes, oh, yeah. yeah, I
1: mean, that would be uh, that would be a date night. You know, That's we would the- go to one. We would go to one movie in the dining theater and order a couple of things and then we go to the next film and order a couple of more things and have a couple of cocktails and it was a good night
0: yeah the closest i mean like that's that's the thing i miss most i think is uh, that in live music but you know yeah. we, i do a show every week called uh the the indie creator spotlight where we get to see like you know independent you know like stuff that's just come out or mm-hmm. has not come out and people are like hey let's you know you know. We, Let's do an interview with the director or the actor. Like we, we talked to Andre Gower from the Monster Squad because he put out a, a, a Monster Squad documentary. So we got to we talked to him a couple
2: times about that. Like it was is it called Wolfman Has Nards. Yes, yes. it it really, it really is.
1: is. <laughs> yeah, hold on. <laughs> And he's such a really cool person to talk to. Yeah. Like, you know, he just really embraces the film and the character, and you know the the love that yeah. everyone has for it. But but yeah,
2: I yeah. mean, did you, did you are you guys both around the same age? I'm forty one.
0: I'm a I will turn forty uh, the day after this episode airs. Oh,
2: congratulations.
1: I'm, I'm an immortal eldritch god. So. Yes,
2: she is well, uh, about. 12,000 years old. um, I'm so sorry for even bringing it up. You're the more.
1: I'm 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 35.
2: (laughs) Okay. Yeah,
0: she'll be 36 later this year.
2: I remember Monster Squad being like the sleepover movie for like Mm -hmm. two and a half years from like 88, 89. And then there was a brief period where, not to go back to Gutenberg, but uh, Three Men and a Baby. But yep. only three men and a baby, because there was supposedly a ghost in it. Yeah, that one scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, the cardboard, cardboard cutout. Cut yes, yeah.
2: I didn't sleep for six months after Mike Canty at his house. He was like, "Yeah, that's a ghost right there." They have, they filmed a real ghost. Good luck getting some shut eye. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that was one of those ones that uh, you know. It took many years and a lot of uh, rumor debunking to. Oh. But if you if you liked uh, the Monster Squad, you absolutely have to see this movie. Like, All right. okay. Amazon
1: yeah, Prime right now, so yeah.
2: You oh, it you is have to.
1: I believe so. Yes. Well, oh, I don't be. want
2: to brag, but I am Amazon Prime, so I'll probably.
0: It'll it'll punch you right in the emotions.
2: Oh, I love that movie, especially the amount of times that my dad came into a room and was like, it's not a real ghost. <laughs> like, an eight year old me was like, you can't prove that. You don't know. What are you?
0: Are you Dan yeah. Aykroyd? Are you from the hit, hit film Ghostbusters? Do you know? You don't know. You don't know. Uh but yeah, so we before we get sidetracked talking about the Simpsons and, and monsters. See, that's what happens on this show. And I'm and, you know, you've listened to it and you know that one thing will lead to forty other things and we'll just go off. Well we start we started talking about the asylum and, and yeah. Oh so getting back to, to Leo, because I know we're we're kind of coming up, we're like way over the time that we had originally allotted, you know, and I know you uh you know, it's, it's nap time for certain people uh, yeah. in Cunningham home. So I don't want to keep you too, too much longer. But, uh, you know, before we wrap up, you know, this is a book that, you know, like you were saying, it's 400 pages, but, you know, I, I kind of liken it to you know, watching the Snyder cut last night, like it's four hours, but it didn't seem like four hours, you know, reading through the book. It doesn't seem like it's 400 pages because you're engaged with the characters. You know, mm-hmm. you clearly have a skill with writing. You clearly know the subject matter that you're, you're referencing. And, you know, you make it easy for kids to, you know, like if I'm reading this as a kid, cause I've read, you know, I still, like I've based some of the stuff that I've written On a young adult series that came out in the '60s called uh, "The Tripod Trilogy" by John Christopher. Uh, It was actually made into a BBC thing. Um,
2: Okay. Trilogy.
0: Yeah, the Tripod Trilogy. It's uh, right. It's one of my favorite genres of sci-fi where things are so far into the future they've kind of devolved back. Where like the Uh, uh, tripods came down and they were the
2: worlds tripods
0: similar okay. Um, you know there's definitely some more of the world's influence on this yeah. but the tripods came down and they kind of reverted all of American culture back to or not America but the world culture back to um, you know you know 17 1800s mm-hmm. you know, like one guy has a, a, a watch that you can wind up and it's like you know it's the greatest thing like they find what they think are eggs. And it turns out they're grenades like they, you know, one kid is like, oh, you know, I've always, you know, thought about doing this, uh, you know, the, you know, propelling, you know, a a carriage forward with steam, you know, talking about a steam engine. But like, you know, no one's ever heard of it. Like he's he wears glasses and everyone's like, what is that? Like, it's so crazy. But like, it's such a cool story. And it took me about 25 years to track down the other two books. Cause I had only read the first book and I read it over and over and over since I was in fourth grade. Yeah. I never knew how the story ended, but I finally was able to get the, the whole trilogy. Uh, it cost a decent amount of money, but I was able to find it and I finished the whole story and I was like, Oh, this is so great. I, and I use that to influence my writing. So, you know as i you know was saying you know you you clearly have a a grasp on what you've done is there anything that you've read as a kid that kind of has informed you know your your writing like anything that you kind of give homage to like i give a lot of homages to calvin and Hobbes because that was a major Uh. part of my childhood and i have them tattooed on me um is there anything like that for you
2: Oh, I mean, you, you mentioned them earlier, but definitely uh, Michael Crichton stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you know, I, I didn't start reading Dan Brown novels until I was in my 20s, but I, I lugged so many Michael Crichton books to uh, basketball camps all around the Northeast and would just be the kid where it was like, hey, uh, we're going to go work on rebounding drills. And I'd be like, okay, I'm going to finish Congo. And then um, I'm going to go uh, work on uh, these rebounding drills, and just the idea of imagining. Because I feel like what Crichton was was incredible at was imagining the future, but balancing uh, the the benefits and the costs, and then just turning that into the story. Like, like sure. yeah, I mean. nowhere better than Jurassic Park. I mean, the part that always bothered me about Jurassic Park is like the only people who go to Jurassic Park, if Jurassic Park existed would be rich kids. Like, are you out of your mind? (laughs) It's like, Hey, there's real dinosaurs on this Island off of uh, Nicaragua. Okay, cool. That's gotta be $40,000 to go see minimum for like the basic entry level package. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why I'm, I'm, Trying to grind that stone on, <laughs> on the podcast. But,
0: well, they bring it up in the movie. We can charge whatever we want—a thousand a day, ten thousand a day—and oh. people will pay it. Donald, this park was not designed to only cater to the super rich.
2: <laughs> well, they don't. If, if I'm not mistaken, they don't bring that up until the Jurassic World.
0: No, they—they they brought it up in, in Jurassic Park. Oh, they did? They were all sitting around having the Chilean sea bass. Oh, where the you know, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Oh, yeah, in four hours when I was 12, I loved Jurassic Park and it kicked me off. I'm with you. I read, I had a a combo book, it was Congo Sphere and Eaters of the Dead, Andromeda Strain, uh, like all of them. Sphere, I've I've read Sphere like 50 times, I've seen the movie 25 times.
2: I I went through. I did a combo. I, I, they weren't in the same book, but I remember reading uh, the Andromeda Strain and then Stephen King's The Stand.
0: Ooh, the,
2: that's a right around back, yeah. back, and like to the point where one of the characters from The Stand is still a catchphrase among my brothers. Like we're still an inside joke. We're the guy who's like M O O N. That spell, yeah, it's, I'm Cullen. And so, like my brothers will still text. M O O N that spells whatever like we'll still uh, is still a, a running thing 30 years after that I don't I mean it's there's something about like really good fiction that sticks with you like i 2 weeks ago i finished reading uh, House of X Powers of X i don't know if you've read that the most recent it's like a new kind of X-Men run
0: I haven't, uh, I'm a little, I'm a little behind. Like you can see some of my stuff. It's all, uh, yeah. like Batman nightfall. So like, that's about where I am.
2: <laughs> I mean, the, there's a book that I recommend to everyone that I've read repeatedly called a uh, replay by Ken Grimwood. And I'm not, I'm not ruining anything. You, you read it in the first sentence, but the main character dies right after his 43rd birthday and he's reborn uh, when he's a freshman in college, and it's just it's it's kind of that trope of like reliving life, but knowing, uh, knowing what's going to come, and like how you would relive with different choices, and that's what they do in uh, House of X, Powers of X. But it comes to these really wild conclusions, like the stuff you're talking about with the Tripod trilogy of like what's going to happen if we continue to to play this out with uh you know i mean in in house of x powers of x it's like what's going to happen if what are mutants going to be doing a thousand years from now Mm. when they've continued to evolve and evolve and evolve and evolve and then uh the whole book hinges on moira mctaggart and her uh superpower is she's now whenever she dies she's reborn and she knows everything that's She's she retains everything she learned in her previous lives. Um, but I was just thinking that how that connects to the tripod trilogy that was also going to be my response in the uh in the character section. If you're going to ask me what was what would be the superpower I could uh I would have, it would definitely be Moira McTaggart's superpower of being reborn but retaining everything that you know and then seeing how your different conclusions bear out
0: that is a pretty cool uh, a pretty cool power like see this is how long i've been out of comics like i don't remember her having powers i remember her son being a, a, a huge threat proteus yeah. i remember him a big a big threat uh but i don't recall her having powers but it was a, it
2: was a controversial move to give her powers
0: yeah cuz i wouldn't i wouldn't have thought i mean i remember her being a love interest of uh of uh Xavier, right. yeah how they used the same actress to play her uh, in the in the two different movies, even though it was like forty years apart. Like, wow, you look exactly the same, but like James McAvoy turns into Patrick Stewart. Like, yeah. it's a little, uh, it's a little weird.
2: Although nothing's gonna be funnier than Looper when it's Bruce Willis, but. Twenty years earlier, he is six inches shorter.
0: <laughs> oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Well, it's like we 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 just did a uh, our our most recent episode is about Clarice, uh, and we talk about Clarice Starling. Oh, yeah. Listen. And how like you know Paul Krendler is this bald guy in Silence of the Lambs, but then he ages into Michael Cudlitz, who then ages into Ray Liotta. Like, like you want to talk about a, a wacky transformation like yeah. that? Yeah. That's a weird one.
2: You're gonna eat me, Karen. Yeah,
0: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean obviously we could just keep going for probably another 2 or 3 hours, but you know, like I said I I we're, we said 45 minutes to an hour and it's uh, an hour 20 at this point.
2: Well, uh, I can't. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am going to walk on air for the rest of the day. The fact that you said it's an easy read because that is the that is the thing that scares me the most is somebody gets five pages in and is like, "What is this guy talking about?" So, um, thank you. I'm I'm. Uh, thank you for uh, reading Leo and uh, and enjoying stepping into that world. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, well
1: and, and thank you for creating this world for us to step into. I think and, it's, it's fantastic. And uh, like I said, I, I can't wait to read more.
0: And thank you for bearing with us on the, uh, you know, the schedule changing a couple of
2: times. Oh no, worries. We, I, I worked on this CBS sitcom a few years ago called happy together. And one of the things that we had to do, one of the joke buckets was we were just writing the, the conceit was that the parents were, uh, super we're just drunks like that was the thing like the the in-laws were co- coming over and we're constantly hammered so we had to write nothing but wine puns for like two days in a row so i i may send you a follow-up which is just that bucket list of wine puns. <laughs>
0: please do that's fair yeah yeah that's that would that would That would work. Um,
1: He knows our brand already. (laughs) Yeah.
2: He's very familiar. It's it's, it's literally a room of 14 people sitting around and writing wine puns for two
0: days. (laughs) Oh, man. If you ever need need to hire somebody, like I know a guy can do that. Um, (laughs) But before we let you go, uh, where do you like folks interacting with you on social media? And where, most importantly, can they get the book?
2: Oh, um, you can get the book on uh, Amazon, on Barnes and Noble website. Uh, if it, it's just Leo Inventor Extraordinaire, um, the thing that is my publishers told me is the most helpful is if you order from a local independent bookstore. Uh, that the that really uh, helps expand the footprint of the book, and also uh, after COVID, those places are probably really struggling and. Would love to have the business and would love to see you come by and pick up a book. Uh people are welcome to interact with me. Um, I'm on Twitter, it's at Luke X Cunningham. Although uh I do have an extensive history as a comedy writer, so some of the jokes might be they're not quite lined up with a YA author, but um, there's also Instagram at leo.inventor.extraordinaire where uh, I just as I, you know, wanted a place for people who saw the illustrations in the book. And if they wanted to understand the connections to uh, the Renaissance art that inspired it, I line everything up and explain it in uh, or on that page uh, at leo.inventor.extraordinaire on Instagram.
0: Very cool. Thanks, well, i I want to thank you so much. Uh, we're going to put all this information in the show notes, so everybody's going to be able to uh, to find this for you. So I want to thank you again, just so much for for spending the time with us. Thank this you. A lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and we'll definitely uh, be in touch about the sports show.
1: Mm.
0: Uh,
2: Natsy, mistress. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs>
1: thank you for being here.
0: All right. And uh, on that, we'll be uh, we'll be right back. All right.
1: Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from ET and Cujo, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday.
0: And we are back. Uh, that was a really fun interview. Luke's an awesome dude. Uh, that was a lot of fun.
1: Had some really interesting conversations off air too. So
0: yeah, quite a bit. Really
1: cool. Like really interesting person.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would 100% say that uh, Luke is a very interesting individual.
1: I would, uh, I, I, I would, I would drink with him.
0: Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, we had some uh, some sports talk off the off air. We had some. uh, We had a bunch of uh, fun. I mean, the conversation. Yeah,
1: off off air. The conversation kind of went all over the place. It was fantastic. So definitely support Luke and pick up Leo. Yes.
0: We'll have links in the right. In the I was show just notes. to say, I'm like,
1: what's that word? Links. That's a good yes. word. We'll have links in the show notes as to where you can purchase the book, and it's so good. It is so. If if you like that kind of uh, mystery, um, young adult, everything but. has a purpose. One thing leads to another. Um, it's just yeah, definitely has like that that Dan Brown like feeling to it, uh, and so interested, like so incredibly interesting. And I know I keep saying that word, but uh, it's just it's honestly the best word to describe this book because intriguing, you know, and yes, and like compelling, Exactly. synonyms.
0: Oh,
1: I like synonym <laughs> rules.
0: just like Grandma I used to make. Yeah. <laughs> So we have uh, we have some battle results for you.
1: We yeah, we have a lot of stuff that we need to talk about wrapping this up. But yes. first is first, we have battle results. So if you remember, last week was our huge Justice League Snyder Cut episode, and we threw down weeding out the Snyder Cut. Which director has the guts to best the other in more ways than one? Hand-to-hand combat. The sandbox was WWF Hell in a Cell. And the special guest referee was Patty Jenkins. And obviously, you could choose from either Zack Snyder or Joss Whedon. And to no surprise... I think
0: this is a, a first.
1: Uh, well, actually, no. So on, on Facebook, it was a complete shutout. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, Zack Snyder over Joss Whedon. Because what? <gasps> Fuck Joss Whedon. Yes. But on Twitter... It was uh, 71% for Zack Snyder, huh. 29% for Joss Whedon.
0: That seems way too high for Whedon.
1: I I agree. I mean, he has a really punchable face.
0: Yeah, not as punchable as like Martin Scorsese, like, like, but Zack Snyder
1: punchable. has one of those faces that he's a nice face. You know, like if you passed him, you know, uh, like like on on the sidewalk or something, you would smile and nod at him. Like obviously, you know, pre. Mask days, but like if you like bumped into Joss Whedon on the sidewalk, you would just want to punch him.
0: I'd be like, oh, I don't have any change.
1: You know, like he just he just has this like this like
0: it's that weird it's like pulsating resting, forehead resting that he has.
1: smirk face.
0: Yeah, it's that it's that weird pulsating forehead. Like that, that weird like you expect that like his forehead's gonna pop open and there's like a little dude in there controlling like flipping all kinds of switches and dials and that's why he's such a dick. But, yeah. no, I, I yeah. yeah, not a fan of Joss Whedon. Um, so, yeah, I think, although I don't think we've ever had a shutout on, on anything. Well, well
1: so, because usually we have multiple choices.
0: Yeah, but usually it's not, like, Like, such more than two, but... Huge, cavernous gap between the two of them. But, uh... You also have some uh, some wine stuff to talk about.
1: I do have some wine stuff to talk about. So a couple of episodes ago, I talked about the fact that I was finally able to get my hands on the Apothic Merlot. And I mentioned that I was able to get my hands on the Pinot Noir as well. So... I did talk about the Merlot, and I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend the Pinot Noir. Apothic did not let me down at all. And, you know, I can be kind of um, wishy-washy when it comes to Pinot Noirs. There are some out there that I I really, really, really enjoy, and then there are some that I just, you know, uh, not so much. It's not my go-to wine, obviously. Like, I, I I have yet to meet a Merlot that I haven't, like Merlot. Merlo- <laughs> Some I'm more than more than others, but um, you know, like uh, odds are, you know, uh, if if I order a Merlot, if I drink a Merlot, I'm fairly certain I'm going to like it. Pinot Noir, on the other hand, you know, it, it can go one of two ways: either I'm going to like it or I'm I'm not. And this Pinot Noir is so. Good. It's definitely probably the best Pinot Noir I've ever had. Um, not that I've had several, because like I said, it's not my go-to, but I, I've had some. I've had some pretty good ones, and this is definitely up there. So Apothic describes this: our 2019 Pinot Noir reveals layers of bright ripe cherry and crushed raspberries, with a dash of red currant. So it's very jammy. You know how I love to describe things. This is jammy. Um, it is very, very jammy, very fruit forward. Um, a little bit sweeter than you would expect a Pinot Noir it. to be. Yeah, you liked it. Um, it was good. Like the the dark red berry flavor was really good. Silky tannins round out the mouthfeel with ribbons of caramel and vanilla. Which lead to a delicate, lingering finish.
0: Exquisite mouthfeel.
1: It was good. Like, like I said, it was a uh, slightly sweeter than you would expect a Pinot Noir to be. Um, again, very jammy, very fruit forward with the red berries on the front of the palate. But yeah, you definitely got like that nice, smooth mouthfeel on the back of the palate with the, with like that, that that vanilla caramel finish feel. you just like saying that <laughs> it's
0: like the creepiest word that's not creepy it's so weird
1: you're weird yes um, but yeah I, I highly recommend it so it's Apothic's two brand new wines if you can find them I had a difficult time finding these guys but luckily the liquor store right near my house got them So and that's been the only place I've been able to find the both of them as of as of right now so they've been out for a hot minute but yeah i, I highly recommend both i highly recommend like all of apothic's wines but yeah, uh these two new ones r- yeah yeah like these two new ones i'm just I, I can't get enough of so apothic
0: um i don't have any science stuff for you uh, cuz we just finished watching uh Godzilla versus so, Kong. So,
1: yeah. So, side note, we recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago. Um
0: we're just recording the end now, right? We're, we're, we're recording the ending. Uh,
1: well, no, because we wanted it's to make
0: sure it's <laughs> 11:46 Wednesday night, and this has to be up for Thursday.
1: <laughs> so, we um, not that we're procrastinators, but I mean, yeah, we, had to, well, we we had to throw down the battle to get appropriate battle results. Well,
0: that's true too, but you know, we could have thrown it down. So
1: a couple days ago, we just finished watching Kong ver- Godzilla versus Kong. So good, and we just ate a. Cr- crap load of sushi so good including something called a godzilla roll so we were eating a godzilla roll while watching godzilla it was like godzilla inception
0: yeah and uh we finally got a chance to try some of the uh, down cider and uh, we got the blackberry and it was very good
1: yeah yeah the it's new it's their like springtime flavor Um,
0: if you saw the sports show a while back, you know, you know that we were trying to get our hands on the down east, uh, donut, uh, cider cider donut.
1: donut. Yeah. That, that didn't happen. Maybe it will happen this year though. I'm
0: hoping so. We'll
1: have to be more diligent about searching for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, we looked everywhere. I drove like to four liquor stores in three different towns one day, you know, Worcester, Northborough, Grafton, nothing, got nothing. But, uh.
1: For those who don't know, those are are towns within the area. The vicinity that we live. They all kind
0: of border each other. Um, But yeah, we have uh, some big stuff coming up next week, because next week is episode 250. I'm so excited.
1: So, episode 250 is going to be live. We're doing a live show at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Yes. We will be dropping the Streamyard link on Facebook and other we places. We will be dropping so. the YouTube
0: link on Facebook. Yes, because I think that is actually the first time since my Facebook ban for a meme that I posted in November. I that will be the first night that I can broadcast live back to Facebook. So, very exciting to uh, to be able to do that.
1: Um, we're gonna we're we're in the process of. Uh, getting some guests on, and it's going to be fun. So if you are interested, we are going to be talking fandoms. We want to know what are some of your favorite fandoms and who are some of your favorite characters from those fandoms and why. So if you want to, send us a voicemail or email to throwdownthursdaypodcast at gmail.com or or look for the info on the social media that we are going to be posting shortly.
0: Yeah, I'm going to put the uh, I'm going to put the event together probably uh you know, if you're listening to this Thursday today, I'll put the event together so right. we can uh broadcast it and you know, everyone can see it and we can post the link so you can kind of you know, set your reminder, like follow us on uh not follow us, what's the word? Like and subscribe on uh
1: Like and YouTube. subscribe. We're trying
0: to get more YouTube people. And, uh,
1: MeTube.
0: MeTube, YouTube, UsTube.
1: WeTube. Yes. Um, and speaking... we have some
0: cool announcements as well.
1: I would say, and speaking of big projects, the cat's out of the bag this week.
0: Yes, uh, I... Folks already heard the uh, ad earlier in this episode.
1: So the big project that we have been a part of for the past few months, it has been revealed, unveiled this past week. Um, I'm sure you've seen the video in the groups From on social Madam media. Uh, we've been, you know, promoting the hell out of this. But it is the first annual, first ever Amalgamania podcast and entertainment awards yes and and we want you do you have a podcast a youtube or twitch stream
0: yeah podcast youtube channel twitch stream uh we want to help folks get their uh, not only get their stuff out there but we want to give you prizes if you're really good
1: so submissions are open now It is $10 for the first submission and $5 for each uh, subsequent, that's that's the word, right? Subsequent. Subsequent, uh, Submission. And for more information, just check out the social media pages.
0: We already have, uh, I'm looking right now, we already have uh, three submissions.
1: There are a few different categories that you can submit for.
0: Best long form, best short form, best host, best interview, best Twitch stream. Uh, all of it uh, is on amalga-mania.com Everything is there. Everything that you need. I'll put it in the show notes as well. But everything is there. Amalga- mania. I kept calling it Amalga- Amania because I was reading it wrong. Uh, but Amalga- mania.com has all of the uh, all of the notes, all of the way all, uh, stipulations, and uh, you have until May fourth to get your uh, to get your stuff in.
1: That is correct. And speaking of best hosts, we have another announcement for you kids. So the live show, the live streaming show you of the Amalgam Awards. ...is on June 27th, and it'll be hosted by yours truly and the guy who's sitting across from me right now.
0: Oh, this way. Yeah, me. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah you. <laughs>
0: I'm hoping that...
1: Not not, not Wilmouse that's sitting over there. <laughs> Although
0: I wouldn't be surprised if Wilmouse comes by. This if is Will true. Ma- I, I, would, I would like it if Wilmouse made a uh, made an appearance, because that would be pretty great. I'd like that too. Oh, hey there, Wilmouse I thought you were over there playing video games.
2: Well, I am,
0: but I'm also listening to him on the podcast.
1: He's really into bug snacks.
0: He really likes bug snacks because they remind him of some of the creatures from Demonshire on the they other do. side. They do the,
1: the grumpuses. They kind of remind him of his homies.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, they a little bit like that. Uh, and he's still he's still searching for his dad. He hasn't (laughs) been able to find his dad.
1: (laughs) That took a turn. Well, you know, still searching for his dad. All I know is
0: that I hope it's not Anton Carandini, the most (laughs) evil villain in all of Demonshire. All right, go back to your video games. All right, I'm just gonna go over there now. So, yeah,
1: huge news coming out of Amalgamania. Super stoked that we can be a part of that, part of the planning committee, part of the people getting this up off the ground. Some great, amazing people involved in this project. And we want to share the spotlight with you guys. We want to promote you. We want to see what you have to offer. And, you know, people have been working so hard, especially throughout this pandemic, to either, you know, Start a podcast or continue with their podcast, and you know, putting out a product every week is not easy, especially when there's a lot of other things going on. And so many people have persevered throughout this past year and continue to put out quality pro you know a, a quality product uh, consistently, and we want to reward those people. So you know,
0: there's a very stringent. Uh you know judging process there's a very uh very we have everything down like mathematically almost um it's going to be very awesome i'm very excited to it's going to be a a a lot of fun too
1: and the judges that we have are highly qualified to be judging you know this this type of forum and it's exciting it's really exciting so uh get your submissions in and I tune in on june twenty seventh We'll be posting more about that as the the, the date gets closer, yeah,
0: and all the uh, the ads will be uh, getting slightly different as uh, as we chug along too. so um I think let's see what else we we have the other side of midnight it's gonna be coming out uh, in April. We have um, we're gonna be doing a uh, an unboxing sort of an un- enveloping because we just received. The mark of the witchworm. We haven't opened it yet. I was waiting for for uh, ashes to get home, and I'm really excited to crack this thing. I'm like I know what's in it, but like I want to see it for myself the first time. So I'm gonna do it like I do the uh, the memorabilia, and I'm gonna wear gloves because I want it to be like real fancy. I don't want to get any oils from my fingers onto the.
2: Oh,
1: Jesus, the oil from your fingers.
0: Wash your hands, turn the page. Wash your hands, turn, turn the, the page, page.
1: Wash your well, hands. Well, you got to wash your hands first. Turn the page, wash your
0: hands. No, you got to wash your hands first before then you, you touch turn the, the
1: page. page, then you wash your hands.
0: So, um, I think that's a pretty good place to stop, um...
1: So stick with us. Tune in next week for our huge live 250th episode. And don't worry, kids, if you cannot tune in live, the audio will be available the following the video. Friday. And the video will be available as well. So, uh, But if you can join us, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time.
0: YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, all of those. All uh, the
1: fun places.
0: And uh, I think with that being said, we We will see you
1: next Thursday. Thursday.